Because you know it's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, 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 drought. Yeah, it's pretty clear, we're really short on blue. It's time to save it, save it, like we're supposed to do. Some say it's doom, gloom, and all our grass must go. But together we can make it and enjoy our golden state. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, 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 drought. The desert to the ocean to all across America and back to beautiful downtown San Bernardino. Welcome to the Water Zone Show with Rob and Mike. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm totally excited about uh, our guests and our topic uh, this evening. Well, do you like to eat? Are you hungry? Uh, yeah, I'm about, uh, I think so. You know, it's about that time of night. Well, what they're going to talk about is agriculture. And oh, you mean that food that gets grown in California? I think we're produce something like 50% or more of the fresh fruits and vegetables that are consumed in the United States, something like that. I know we grow a lot of great food in California. And a lot of nuts. <laughs> we, do have a, we, do, we do grow some nuts, that's true. Both the food kind and the people kind. <laughs> but, anyway, but anyway, we're going to turn this over to make this Ag Day today. And a uh, special guest host that we're putting in today is Ms. Inge Bisconer, who's a technical marketing and sales manager for the Floral Micro Irrigation Division along with Paul McFadden, who's our Senior National Accounts Manager. And um, I think they're going to have a good time doing the show. They have some really great press that they're going to tell us about. And we'll just stand by on the sidelines and uh, watch them do a great show. I am uh, particularly uh, just excited because ag is so important, not only to me personally, because uh, we eat food, but uh, just the products that are used in growing our food and getting to know, to know more about what farmers have to go through. Water. Absolutely, and I think this is the perfect opportunity for the people who are listening audience to know the difference between the facts and the myths about what's going on in that community. So without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to Ms. Inge Bisconer. Thank you, Rob and Mike. Thanks for um, allowing us to sit in for you today. Hopefully we have just as much fun today as you guys have every Thursday night as I sit and listen to this show. We have two very special guests uh, on tonight um, that we'll introduce in just a moment after my buddy Paul here, my partner in crime on this show, uh, gives us a little bit of a, um, a framing of the topic of uh, ag irrigation, you know, uh, Yes, we eat three times a day, and agriculture is what allows us to do that. So, Paul, tell us a little bit about how much water in California is used for agriculture and urban and all the different uses. Great. Thanks, Ingi. Thanks for the uh, uh, introduction. I think it would be helpful in, uh, in the preparing for the show. We thought it would be useful for us to kind of set the uh, record straight, if you will, and clarify some misconceptions on on how much water is used uh, by agriculture and how much used is by, uh, by urban users uh, and uh, by the environment. So we went back and did some extensive research and uh, using California uh, Department of Water Resources facts 
uh, have come up with uh, uh, roughly 60% of all the water uh, in the state of California is used for the environment. So uh, it's used to manage watersheds, uh, in-stream flow requirements uh, for wild rivers and streams, to manage the water in the delta, all those kinds of things. Um, and, and another um, uh, 30 to 40 percent is, uh, is used in, in agriculture. So um, that, that water is used specifically for growing, growing food. And as Mike mentioned earlier, uh, 50 percent of all the fruits, nuts, and vegetables grown uh, in California is consumed by, by folks in the U.S. And then another 10% uh, of the water left is, uh, is used by urban and commercial users. So it's a, it's a, a pretty interesting uh, blend uh, that, uh, that we have in the state. I also thought it would be helpful to share with you that the state of California, uh, roughly in size, is about 100 million acres. And of that 100 million acres, 27 million acres is, is growing crops uh, of any kind. The 250 uh, different crops that we grow here in the state of California is grown on one of those uh, one of those acres. Of the 27 million acres, only 9 million is irrigated. And, and of that irrigated uh, land, 30% is drip irrigated, drip or micro-irrigated, 20% is in sprinklers, and 50% of that land is flood irrigated. So uh, obviously... With the uh, drip and the, uh, the micro-irrigation and the sprinkler being the more efficient use of water, we thought it would be helpful for listeners to hear that, that uh, that's how our water is used in the state of California. Well, that's, uh, that's really informative because, you know, there's a lot of numbers that are thrown out, and we hear the 40%. We also hear the 80% uh, that Ag uses 80% of the water, and that's really 80% of the human um, used water is agriculture, and the other 20% urban, uh, and this other 40% is on, on the overall. But that's interesting, the drip in the sprinkler and uh, the um, gravity-irrigated uh, acres, there's still quite a few gravity-irrigated acres. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about drip irrigation today. Um, for those of you who don't know what drip irrigation is, um, I'll give you a brief little primer on it. Um, basically, um, we we manufacturers, we're a manufacturer of drip irrigation equipment. Uh, uh, we extrude tubes out of polyethylene and insert um, uh, engineered emission devices that precisely deliver water directly to the crop's root zone, feeding both water and nutrients directly to the crop roots um, in a uh, low pressure um, way and um, in a very efficient way. And that's the most important thing. We're efficiently spoon feeding the crops uh, without potentially runoff or per deep percolation beyond the root zone. And at the same time, since we're spoon feeding the crop with, um, with this drip irrigation technology, the crop is more responsive and it yields more and we make more food. So drip irrigation basically helps us make more uh, food, fiber, and fuel um, for our state and for our country and, and for the world. So it's really a great technology, and the state of California has done a great job. We're um, about a third of our irrigated acres are already in uh, drip irrigation, but as we stated earlier, as Paul stated earlier, we still have an opportunity to do a lot more good work with this efficient um, technology. Pinky, if I could, I'd like to add that in addition to delivering not just water into the plant's root zone, 
this technology allows us to uh, include fertilizers in there as well. So we're using far less fertilizer than we would in a conventional area uh, where we're broadcasting fertilizer over a field. It's right in spoon feeding the plant both water and nutrients is an important and a key factor in this technology. So does that mean that our, our drip system is delivering food to our food? Kind of, sort of, huh? You know, we're getting, we're, we're feeding food to our food. All right. Well, thanks for that clarification. So I think this would be a good time to introduce our first studio guest. Uh, who's this guy over here, Paul? Uh, this kind is of a special a, guy, isn't he? Yes, he's, he's uh, uh, Chase Hurley. He's the general manager of the San Luis Canal Company in Dos Palos, California. Uh, the Cal Canal Company delivers uh, to over 40,000 acres of diversified crops, including cotton, um, and uh, tomatoes and alfalfa and things of that nature. Um, over the last four years, uh, the, the company has helped uh, customers by developing uh, uh, subsidy programs and infrastructure improvements, with the end result being a modernization or a more efficient use of this, of our water and nutrients, into 15,000 acres uh, with the drip technology. And he's got some uh, pretty, uh, pretty spectacular results. So, uh, welcome, Chase. Well, thank you, Paul and Ingi, for having me tonight. It, it was great to drive down south and join you, and hopefully, we can educate the public a little bit more about what ag is all about here in the beautiful state of California. Very good. Well, I first heard uh, the, this uh, spectacular uh, case study from Chase. We're both uh, on the California Irrigation Institute, um, and. Uh, uh, Chase made this presentation last year, uh, and we have since been able to present this to some other folks. And uh, so, Chase, tell us a little bit about the San Luis Canal Company's drip irrigation conversion program, why it was needed, how it's helped your farmers, and uh, both the farmers in the Canal Company and the state's water situation. Um, you should see on your screen soon a graph of some of the results, the average results from Chase's water district. But uh, uh, Chase, walk us through that process. Yeah, San Luis Canal Company delivers water to approximately 330 landowners that encompasses 40,000 acres of highly productive farmland. We have uh, pre-1914 water rights through California law. So um, uh, this farmland is three to four to five generations, has been around for a long time in production agriculture. And uh, as everybody else uh, has to do in the state, we, we have to become more efficient, uh, as farmers have. They've learned a lot throughout the years. We've had a very stable water supply. But in the last 10 or 15 years, our very active board of directors, along with our farmers, have uh, decided to uh, invest a, a lot of their own money through uh, money raised to their water rates to uh, increase the efficiency uh, in our irrigation system. Um, uh, adapt our irrigation system from something that was built in the early 1900s to things that look more modern in today's age. So a lot of SCADA-driven systems. And the farmers, uh, you know, it's driven by the farmers and what, they're, uh, what they need uh, to grow the crops most efficiently. And they started to make the conversion to drip irrigation. We are uh, for the 98% uh, row crop, so historically um, flood irrigation. But around eight to nine years ago, we saw folks starting to put in drip tape, and it was really started uh, with in the tomato industry, uh, the, the cannery tomatoes. And so um, by seeing that uh, conversion, 
we came up with an internal program where uh, through water rates and through uh, the proactive transfer of some water to our neighbors and generate some revenue, we now have an internal program where we fund up to $500 an acre to help growers not only convert to drip tape, but to purchase sprinklers, purchase other high efficiency um, systems, along with installation of pipelines, concrete ditches, et cetera, to uh, conserve water. Just curious, why why uh, why do you feel that the subsidy is needed? That uh, Chase, why do you think the subsidies are needed to, to motivate these growers? Sorry. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I would call it a subsidy. Uh, the the money is generated. Uh, it's generated through our own uh, shareholder revenue. Uh, we are a private mutual water company, so the money is deri deri derived in internally, along with, like I said, outside revenue from selling some of our water, conserved water, to a, a willing buyer uh, next door. And uh, could, you know, did we really need, as a company, to invest this money into uh, with our own growers? I, you know, potentially the answer might be no. But our board of directors decided to be more aggressive. They knew that for every 500 bucks that we invested on a per acre basis within our boundary, it would help not only conserve water, but then the landowners can decide as a group through our board of directors that maybe perhaps some of that water can be sold on the open market to our neighbors. It's sold right across the street to a willing buyer, and we take that money and put it into our infrastructure to modernize our system. So it's a great program. It's worked very well. Uh, we budget it. We budget close to a million dollars a year for the program. And it's almost at this point in time a self-revolving program where we get loan money every year and that loan, e loan money goes right back out the next year for similar projects. Sounds like a win-win situation. It definitely is. The shareholders win on the backside. Uh, the growers win on the front side. Absolutely. That's great. The viewers probably can't see the, the graph. Uh, maybe the Ustream folks can, but uh, I might walk through just a, a summary uh, of, of what these results have been for, for them. I mean, your cotton growers got 20% more yield and used about a third less water, and your tomato growers probably almost doubled their yields and used a third of the water. That's pretty spectacular. But I bet there were some challenges going from flood irrigation to drip irrigation uh, during this adoption of 15,000 acres in, in, your, in your water district. Can you, uh, can you help explain how, how they succeeded so well, so yeah. quickly? Yeah, like, like everybody does in private business, sometimes you have to learn on the fly. Uh, you learn through some of your mistakes. Uh, we actually got the great chance to learn from some of our neighbors. Um, our neighboring water districts, our federal uh, Central Valley Project contractors, so they had converted to drip uh, many years ago, so we got to learn from them as well. But I, I think the biggest challenges for our uh, water users as they converted, um, one was um, how to maintain a salt balance within your soil. With furrow irrigation, every time you irrigate, you're helping push the salt down. Uh, as you described earlier in the show, you're feeding this water now right to the root zone. So you're only going 12 to 18 inches deep, and that salt wants to accumulate in the root zone. So trying to figure out how to leach some of that salt out, not only during the season but in the off-season, was one big challenge. Uh, another challenge was um, uh, rodent control. Um, a lot of our guys have issues with uh, gophers and trying to the upkeep on this thing with uh, the gophers wanting to chew on the tape for their own water supply has been a really, really interesting perspective that I don't think our growers even thought about. And then I think the last one is, is 
the learning curve, you're actually out there looking for experts to help you. Um, the irrigation vendors in our uh, area do a great job of installing the product, a great job of designing it, but they're, for the most part, not in the business of after it's up and running, how to irrigate with it, how to fertigate through it. So I think um, we're getting more and more people to come into our area, whether it's private consultants or being hired directly by the farmers on staff um, to help them um, through this learning curve that we've had over the last five to eight years. That's interesting. You uh, you mentioned earlier in a comment about SCADA. Uh, might be helpful to, to kind of define what SCADA is for those who don't know. Yeah, it's a supervisory control automated system. So our, wow, our system... that sounds sorry, pretty yeah. fancy. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> our, our system is over, you know, 150 miles of open canals, very few pipelines. Uh, we are converting some of those open canals as we speak to concrete line facilities. But it's an old system with uh, wooden weirs, wooden and concrete weirs, and you have to, what I say, chase the water downstream. So as folks order water, shut off water, in a gravity system, you have to chase that water all the way downstream. What we've done now is converted a lot of those weirs to um, automated systems. So they control, they, on the upstream side, they control the level. And any fluctuation in our system now, we have built one reservoir that helps catch that spill from our canals. And we're in the process of buying land for our second reservoir. So a lot of this automation that we're doing is now we're trying to keep up with our farmers that have gone to drip. On a drip irrigation schedule, you're irrigating maybe two or three times a week for 12 to 48 out, 24 hours at a time. So our farmer might be taking a head of water for 24 hours, where before he would take a head of water for four days. So a lot of it is trying to update our system, and a lot of it is trying to keep up with all the changes our landowners have made. So by converting to drip, you saved water that you could sell to fund the ease of adopting drip on more acres. That's absolutely, that's one thing we've done with it. Some of that conserved water we've taken and sold to our neighbors, and then we take that money and plow it right back into our infrastructure and into our uh, grant and loan program for our farmers. Investing in that, uh, that newest and latest and greatest technology like the SCADA system. Absolutely. Yeah, yep. that's, that's excellent. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it makes a lot more sense than perhaps fallowing acres where you're not producing food and, uh, uh, you know, decline in jobs and economy and everything that goes with it. Uh, rather, use technology, modernize your technology, and uh, still get great results and enough water to go around. Absolutely. It's a win-win. It's a win for our farmers. It's a win for our shareholders. And it's a win for our neighbors in California at large because we're able to take that water and transfer it to neighbors that, at, uh, that don't have uh, a senior water like we do and are willing to invest in programs so we can transfer that water to them so they can produce the same type of food and fiber that we do. So, Chase, question. What are, you guys are obviously very progressive in the way you're approaching this, these uh, issues and even prior to the drought. Uh, what, are, what are other water districts using, not just ag water districts, but urban water districts doing, and what can uh, they learn from, from folks at the San Luis Canal Company? Yeah, I, I think every district is different. Uh, like we did, we learned on the front side from some of our neighbors that had already converted to drip irrigation. 
Uh, we have districts such as San Luis Water District, Panoche Water District uh, to the south of us that it took dirt line canals and converted to plastic, had took dirt line canals and converted to pipelines, had done a lot of this technology already. Uh, their growers were a couple of steps ahead of us. And like I said, that was driven because of a lack of water based on their contractual water right with the Bureau of Reclamation. Uh, I think if you pay attention um, and learn from your neighbors, I think if you pay attention and listen to your growers and your farmers, uh, they know, uh, you know sort of what they need uh, to maintain their market share. Uh, they've obviously got to make a profit to stay in business. So uh, it's just keeping your ears open, working with professionals, working with folks like Toro and other manufacturers. You, you got to be willing to try things. I give our board of directors a lot of credit. Uh, when myself and my staff went to them and asked to invest $7 million of money that they had set aside in a reserve account to build a reservoir and overhaul two of our canals, they had to take a, a big, big gulp. Um, it was something brand new for them. They had put their heads down and farmed for, you know, the last 85 years based on the um, very great, good water contract they have. Um, but they said, you know what, let's take a leap of faith. Let's put $7 million in this one facility. And just in the first year, we pulled 18,000 acre feet of water out of our system that we would have lost w without that reservoir project and the, the SCADA system on the top end. But I think it's important to point out that uh, an acre, each acre foot of water is 326,000 gallons. So that's enough for two households, and uh, that's a considerable sum of water. Absolutely, and, and I, I forgot to mention that some of our partners through our conserved water transfer program are uh, municipalities and urban areas. So uh, we have a very good working relationship with Santa Clara Valley Water District uh, to the west of us and, and others similar to them. So not only are we moving water to the ag sector, but also some of our urban neighbors. So, Chase, would you recommend these same actions to other water district managers? I mean, you're, you're, you, have, you manage a pretty big water district, 40,000 acres, and you have a lot of neighbors around you, and I guess there's 400 or so water districts in the state. Right. What, would you recommend these same actions? And if so, what would your top three lessons learned be? Absolutely. I, I would, and I think a lot of uh, our neighbors in the Central Valley are, are already there. Um, I know some folks up in Northern California that are doing the same thing. Uh, their crop base is a lot different, so some of their actions might not seem as up to speed as ours, but in terms of the, the cropping pattern they grow, um, it, it just, it'll, it'll look a little different. So I, I would say the first thing to do is uh, make sure that your board and uh, farmers understand that there's risk. I think that's pretty easy to convince farmers. Farmers deal with risk every day. And that you're going to have a few bumps in the road. But there's always willing partners out there that will help you invest, whether it's the private sector, whether it's another local utility. But I would say be willing to take the risk. Um, educate your landowners the best that you can. And, uh, and then just push forward. And uh, I, I just think you've got to be aggressive in today's market. Um, water in California is a precious commodity, as everybody's known in the last four years of this drought that we're in. Our canal company landowners and water users have never seen anything like this. Uh, it, last year and this year, uh, the contractual supply that we'll receive is far less than anything they've ever seen. And uh, to be honest with you, they, they didn't think they'd ever see this. So I'm glad that you know prior to this, and five years prior to the drought beginning, we have started to make changes. And uh, I don't think if we didn't hadn't made the changes in the canal company infrastructure and the drip irrigation on the last eight to nine years, uh, it, we, we would have a hard time struggling through a year like this. And if we get a big old slug of rainfall this winter, is that going to fix it all? No, it, it definitely won't. It'll, uh, it'll be great. Let's let's get a lot of rain. Let's get a lot of snowpack. 
but I don't think it should slow anybody down. It's too precious of a resource. Let's continue to innovate. Let's continue to move forward. Let's continue to find new and diverse uh, partners, and uh, let's let's be progressive. Uh, California has uh, too much t uh, at stake if we don't continue uh, to promote agriculture uh, here in our bountiful state. I'm just if you had one thing that you wanted to leave the viewers or listeners. Uh, with what would it be, Chase? Uh, I would just say that uh, really spend some time to educate yourself on the importance of California ag. It's something that if we don't continue to do that, and uh, agriculture has to do a better job of it, we gotta we gotta realize what we have here. I think we're getting better at educating our neighbors and their urban communities. But just educate yourself, because I think if we continue to lose farmland for whatever reason here in our state, uh, we're going to look back uh, when the next generation takes over and, and see what a serious mistake we've made. Water Zone show with Mike and Rob, and we're standing on the sidelines today as we have our people from Toro's Micro Irrigation Division in here talking, Miss Ingi Biskoner and Paul McFadden, and uh, they have some great guests, and I think there's also a caller in, so I'm going to turn it over to these guys and uh, continue the show. Uh, first, uh, before we continue, uh, I'd just like to thank uh, Chase for uh, getting up early this morning and uh, uh, driving down to uh, to the station to be a participant in this event at uh, it uh, means a lot, and I hope uh, listeners will agree that uh, the information that we were able to, to share with you was very valuable. So thank you. Well, thank you very much for uh, Im the invitation. You're very welcome. Thank you, Chase. Um, it's been a pleasure to work with you at CII, and uh, we'll put a plug in for the conference. Right. In, uh, uh, January 25th in Sacramento, we'll have the California Irrigation Institute uh, Conference, and we hope that you all come. Uh, learn about it or look at the website afterwards. Chase and I are both uh, ex-presidents and uh, current board members and organize that conference every year. So uh, our next guest, we have, we have a caller. We have a caller, um, Don es Escondia. Hi, Don. How are you? Where are you calling from? Yeah, hi. I'm in Escondido. Oh, D Don from Escondido. Right. All right. Uh, my, my question was... Um, we had to do with, you know, uh, headlines lately say that Californians are doing a great job in, in uh, their consumers are doing a great job in conserving water, and, and uh, we've beaten the, uh, the goals that Governor Brown put out for us. Um, but I don't hear much about how agriculture has been keeping up with any goals for conservation. Is that something that, um, that is out there that just isn't in the news as much, or what, what, uh, what can we hear about? Uh, you know, water conservation from agriculture as as consumers are they are they matching our our um, our performance or beating it or what what uh, what can you tell us? Yeah, Don, thanks for the question. I, actually, since Chase is still here and he's in the thick of that, um, we're going to go ahead and uh, give him a minute here to uh, answer that question, and then we'll uh, put on our next guest uh, who's waiting on the phone. Yeah, Don, that's a great question, and I think I'd answer it from this perspective. Uh, the majority of folks uh, that are farming in the Central Valley have a water contract, whether it's through the Bureau of Reclamation or the Department of Water Resources. And uh, the contracts in our area range anywhere from two acre foot per acre up to four acre foot per acre. A uh, vast majority of those folks are getting a zero allocation this year. So their two foot allocation um, is a zero. So not getting any of that water. In a, in a canal company uh, such as mine, 
uh, we get in a 100% year uh, around a 3.4 acre foot per acre. We're not going to get, we probably won't even get half that allocation. So yes, because we're getting very limited supplies to begin with, we're still farming crops that have a consumptive use anywhere from two acre foot per acre to three to four whether it's a tree crop, an alfalfa crop, a tomato crop. So we can serve every drop we can. And uh, in years like this, if you drive through the Central Valley, you're going to see a lot of land out of production. And it's out of production because we just don't have the water. So, yes, we're conserving every drop we can as efficiently as we can to get us through years like this. Well, thank you, Don, for calling in and asking that question. And I think, Don, you might want to hang on because we'll hear more about that from our next guest. Who, um, Wade, are you there? Wade Crowfoot is our next guest, and some of you may have heard of him. He's in the news a lot. He is our Deputy Cabinet Secretary and Senior Policy Advisor to the Office of California Governor Edmund G. Brown. So he's very close to our Governor Brown uh, in the news a lot. And Wade has made many public appearances uh, on the heels of Governor Brown's April 1st announcement of Executive Order B-2915, ordering Californians to conserve water by 25% amongst uh, uh, other actions. Um, Wade, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking time to call in. We know that you're a very, very busy man. Uh, hopefully you were able to listen to some of uh, Chase's comments as well. And uh, I'm going to hand it over to Paul uh, McFadden, my partner in crime here, to ask you the first question. Sounds good. Welcome, Wade. Thanks for uh, thanks for the time. Uh, just uh, heard uh, uh, from Chase how we're doing on the ag side and how uh, the caller, uh, previous caller, suggested that uh, we're you, we're surpassing the goal set apart uh, or set uh, by Governor Brown. Um, holistically, how would you say we're doing uh, as a state, uh, both on the ag sector and the uh, urban sector? Great question. Well. I think that really everyone in California is stepping up to respond to the drought, and that's been really encouraging. As probably almost every listener knows, uh, this is one of the worst droughts in our history, if not the worst drought, depending on how you measure it. And that means really they're suffering across the board, certainly in the agricultural sector, uh, particularly in the southern San Joaquin Valley. Um, there are hundreds of thousands of acres of land that are fallow that are not in agricultural production, which is having real economic impact on the farm and the farm workers. Um, there's major environmental impact where we're facing um, certainly harm to endangered species, and, and folks talk about even the extinction of some types of fish species that have been returning to California's rivers for 10,000 years. And then uh, many of our water agencies that provide water to, to communities uh, are finding themselves in dangerous straits uh, where uh, emergency support is required by the state to actually keep the taps running for uh, their water users. So the challenges are great, but uh, I do think that there's been a remarkable response. Um, within communities, as it's been widely reported, Californians stepped up to conserve almost 30% of, uh, of their water use. In other words, using 30% less water uh, this summer than they would in a normal summer. Uh, the agricultural sector, although it may not be as widely reported, is rapidly adopting uh, technologies like micro spray and drip irrigation uh, and doing their part um, uh, in many regions of the state. <laughs> and then uh, our our agencies that take care of uh, some of these endangered species have done a wonderful job, too. 
uh, literally trucking hundreds of thousands of these uh, small endangered species uh, from place to place around uh, California so that their species remain intact. So altogether, the challenge is great, but the response has been encouraging. Yeah, I said, hey, I was Wade, um, you know, I've, I've um, attended a webinar recently where you were a keynote and you were speaking about, um, you know, how resilient ag has been um, in the face of this drought. And, you know, ag is a big, you know, a big contributor to um, uh, the nation's food and so forth. But actually on the scale of the, of, you know, California's economy, um, it's not so big. We have a $2 trillion economy, and ag is probably, um, you know, 3% of it. So um, that resiliency has, um, is very important, but it's kind of been at the expense of over-pumping some groundwater um, and um, jeopardizing perhaps some of the things you were just talking about, the health of our, our ecosystems and so forth. How... Um, how from from a policy standpoint and from your activities and funding and, and incentives, how best can we balance those needs between the environment, between urbanites, um, between ag, uh, even though it's not a huge part of California's, you know, number economy, but it feeds us three times a day, as we just discussed. How best do we do that from your from from yours and Governor Brown's viewpoint? Yeah, that's really the million-dollar question, right? Uh, I would say, you know, first of all, you know, the agriculture sector is a critical part of California's economy. And while it's true that if you looked at it from an overall sort of GDP or gross domestic product standpoint, it's a small portion of our economy, it's critical uh, for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, California in many respects uh, helps to feed the nation. And, uh, you know, the crops that my relatives get in Michigan – uh, that buy, they buy in the grocery store, uh, many of them come from California. So when California agriculture su- suffers, uh, the nation's breadbasket suffers, uh, and that's important. And then secondly, you know, there are, there are a you know, large region of our state, certainly the Central Valley, and particularly communities in the Central Valley, that are largely dependent on the agricultural sector. So when agriculture suffers, uh, whole communities suffer, which mean unemployment and just challenges to people's day-to-day life. So we're completely committed to helping the agricultural sector uh, weather the drought. And Inga, as you mentioned, they've done a great job of that. Uh, the agriculture sector has demonstrated a lot of resilience in the face of reduced water. I think something important to mention is that uh, different regions of the state that, develop, that grow crops uh, and livestock uh, are impacted differently. So we are, hear a lot about the impacts in the South San Joaquin Valley, Tulare County, parts of Fresno County. And those are areas that typically have what are called junior water rights. Um, so they're uh, lower priority water rights based on um, when those water rights were established than more senior water rights. Uh, and so those surface water uh, supplies to agriculture have been significantly diminished. And in those areas that you mentioned, uh, agriculture has uh, kept up in some respects by increasing the pumping of the groundwater from underground basins. In other areas of the state uh, where the scene, where the water rights are more senior and those surface water supplies have been more secure, uh, agriculture has been less interrupted. 
But in those areas of the state where the surface water supply, that is water from the reservoirs and the rivers and the streams, uh, have been impacted, yeah, there has been a whole lot of groundwater pumping. And we think about the groundwater as almost a savings account that help our state get through periods of drought. Uh, the challenge is that with the intensity and the length of this drought, is that savings account has been tapped like never before. And last month, our state released a report with using NASA satellite data that still shows that land is actually sinking rather significantly in parts of the Central Valley, which has real uh, implications or risks on our infrastructure, like our highways and our aqueducts, et cetera. So this is a major challenge. The question you ask really, though, is how we balance the, the, the needs of, for water in the state. We have 38 million Californians that depend on water each day. We have um, a, a major agricultural sector that needs water for economic productivity. And then we have an environment. And what we like to say is, you know, we need to make uh, water available for, for all of those needs. Uh, we, we want and need the agricultural sector to continue to thrive. We, of course, need to support the day-to-day needs of Californians. And I think many of us who live in California um, feel proud of the, the beautiful physical environment we have and want to conserve that. So the question of balance is a challenging one, especially in a, a time of drought. And I can tell you at the state, <clears throat> we've, we've really um, been working to use every drop as effectively as possible. Uh, you know that Governor Brown called for communities in California to reduce their water use by an average of 25%. So we've asked uh, our, uh, communities, or, you know, cities and towns to step up. Um, the agricultural sector, um, which uh, receives its water, again, through the water rights system, has been impacted as well. Again, major impacts if you're more junior water rights system. And the environment uh, has been impacted significantly, too. Uh, a nonpartisan scientific study uh, released last month suggested that the drought continues uh, into next year, um, there are 18 species of native fish in California that are faced with extinction. And not just small fish you've never heard of, but these uh, rather iconic uh, salmon species that, again, have been returning to our uh, uh, rivers for eons. So what we're trying to do is really minimize the impact on, on each by, to the extent possible, flexibly um, managing the system, both our state project, our series of reservoirs and aqueducts, and our federal project as well, all the while requiring as much conservation as we find as we think is appropriate. Thanks, uh, Wade. Just, you know, we've, we've heard about all these different uh, things that, uh, that we need to be looking at to help, uh, help us through these uh, difficult uh, drought periods uh, and also help us become more efficient during the wetter years, uh, groundwater, uh, infrastructure, tax incentives, uh, surface storage. Um, what are what are what are the things in in your opinion uh, as a state we should be looking at short term and then uh, uh, from a longer term perspective to help uh, prevent these uh, these things or help mitigate some of these problems we're having today in these severe uh, this, this uh, four year drought cycle that we're in. Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, when we look at the, the science and the information on the weather, both the precipitation and the temperatures, it's clear that the climate here in California is changing. Um, we're having warmer winters, 
um, which is exacerbating drought. Uh, and so we, we, we believe that California actually needs to adapt to the, this new climate. And so what does that mean? A um, couple things I would suggest. One is we believe that we can collectively improve our water system to provide enough water uh, for those three groups of water users, again, communities, agriculture, and the environment. The governor released last year uh, the, the California Water Action Plan, and it doesn't point that there are any silver bullets that actually will create a more uh, system that's more resilient to drought, but rather it suggested uh, nine areas where the state actually needs to make improvements. And I won't take time to explain all nine, but I can tell you that it certainly includes increasing storage, which is both above-ground storage or reservoirs and below-ground storage, which is using underground basins as reservoirs. It includes uh, increasing the amount of water that gets recycled or used again in California, uh, which is a promising technology that's been deployed uh, across the state. Uh, it calls for better use of and capture of our stormwater uh, that typically runs out in storms uh, out to the rivers and out to the ocean that can actually uh, be recycled. It calls for doubling down on conservation. I mean, the fact is, over the last couple of months, Californians have stepped up and reduced their water usage by 30%. So that suggests to us that we, we, have, uh, we have more room for improvement on a day-to-day -day basis outside of a drought in terms of the amount of water that uh, conserved. And then it also calls for employing uh, technology. Um, there are all sorts of off-the-shelf technologies that, if applied more broadly, will save us a whole lot of water. And it's everything from drip irrigation on the farm and in people's yards um, <clears throat> to better use of these uh, smart water meters in cities that give homeowners more information about the ways that they're using water. It's new technologies uh, helping water agencies detect leaks um, to um, software systems that farmers can use um, to maximize the efficiency of their water usage. So it's really not... I can't point that, that it's really any silver bullet. The good news is that there's a series of steps that, you know, the state has identified um, <clears throat> that it needs to take to build the resilience. And good news is that California voters stepped up in a big way last year and approved the state's water bond, which will uh, provide $7 billion of funding uh, for steps in that water action plan. Now, just to control expectations, it's not the entire amount of money um, that we in California need to make ourselves drought resilient for the coming decades, but it's a pretty big down payment in that respect. Yeah, that's uh, there's a lot of lot of money uh, that will be needed, and you know I, I remember a couple of years ago uh, Felicia Marcus, the uh, your your chairman of the State Water Resources Control Board, she stated at our California Irrigation Institute conference when she spoke that uh, when you talk about the solution, it's really all of the above. Um, and many of those things that you just mentioned, it's technology, it's behavior change, it's, uh, you know, using recycled water, storm water, desal, um, drip irrigation. Um, and we, we see a lot of that happening already. And I would, I would wonder, um, you know, from the funding standpoint, I, I know that um, there are programs like the SWEEP program that have helped fund um, drip irrigation and agriculture, for instance, in the past. Um, and, and then you missed, uh, I think, I think you were en route, um, Chase Hurley's uh, interview here where the San Luis Canal Company uh, self-funded 
here over the last four years, 15,000 acres of, of drip irrigation, which helped them save a phenomenal amount of water. Do you see more of this type of funding um, coming coming down the pike to help with technology actually at the farm level or at the water district level? Absolutely. I mean, what's remarkable about a project like Chase is, is what you realize is that making an upfront investment can save money over time and actually make a producer or make a water district um, revenue that they can reinvest. And, you know, the good news is that California agriculture has come a long way in the last few decades. If you look at the, the incorporation or the integration of drip and microspray irrigation, um, you'll see that more acreage each year is being put into production um, using those efficient technologies or converting to that, those water-efficient technologies. As a result, the farmer has more water to be productive with. Um, so one, I think it's, it's a program like Chase's is pretty inspiring because it's saying even without any government funding, um, this can be ultimately a, 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 a wise thing to do. Uh, for the pocketbook. Um, but I will say in California, we're, we are committed to helping uh, agriculture with this transition. Our California Department of Food and Agriculture uh, initiated a program called SWEEP, which stands for the State Water and Energy Efficiency Program. And what it does is it provides funding to agricultural producers, farms, um, and ranch lands that are uh, incorporating water-efficient technology. It comes from um, what's called the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund, which is essentially uh, a, a program that the state uh, uh, initiated a few years back. Uh, what we do is um, we ultimately charge uh, the, the producers of uh, carbon pollution in the atmosphere. And what we do is um, we create an economic incentive to reduce that pollution by charging for that pollution, and then we plow back the money into activities that will reduce pollution over time. It's, uh, it's been funding the SWEET program because by helping farmers um, reduce their energy use and reduce their water use, it ultimately reduces the pollution that is, is required to create the energy that farmers use. So it's a real beneficial cycle, and what it means is that farmers on the ground are getting state funding uh, to change up their practices to become more water efficient which, again, frees up more water that they have to uh, grow more crops, um, which ultimately increases the efficiency of the water or helps them be more economically productive with the water that they have. So we, we've been pleased um, with, uh, with the first two rounds of the SWEET program, and I think you'll hear in the news in the coming days and weeks it's a program that will continue. Great. Just a... Just something that's very topical. Uh, we uh, were talking on the way uh, to the station this afternoon about food safety, and I and I think it's worth uh, discussing briefly. You know, we in California are, are somewhat spoiled by having a safe uh, and abundant food supply. Um, you know, with uh, with the farmers in the state of California growing. Uh, 50% of all the fresh fruits, vegetables, and nuts consumed in the country, and 70-80% of everything that we eat as as a, a 38 million people in the state. It's a very traditionally, it's been a very safe uh, food supply, uh, and I'm and I'm, we talked about briefly the the uh, on the way here, the uh, uh, problem with the imported. Um, cucumbers and the salmonella that's caused some problems, and I think it's worth uh, worth mentioning that uh, 
uh, as a farming community, we pr produce a very safe food, and, and perhaps a brief comment on that, Wade. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, the Central Valley, is, as our listeners know, is among the most agriculturally productive regions in the world, not only the continent, but the world. And, I mean, so we're blessed with remarkable abundance of good soil, uh, good weather, and good farmers, basically. And so we're proud that we, you know, as a state, uh, produce food that not only Californians enjoy, but the entire world enjoys. And we're also really glad that it's of such high quality that the California brand, in many cases, actually brings a premium. And part of that, of course, is our, is our you know, is the record of food safety that our agricultural producers uh, have established and our food processors. So it's something that we want to obviously uh, see uh, continue. And as we move to use of uh, new technologies like recycled water, using water twice and irrigating crops, we do that carefully because we want to make sure that the water that's uh, being used to irrigate our crops and our food uh, continues to be safe. Uh, so I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, thank you, Wade. Uh, we're just about to wrap up, and I, I did want to just mention, too, that um, the better we do in, in agriculture, it'll be better for not only the, the, the environment, but also the urbanites, too. I know that uh, everybody's responded real well to uh, the governor's request to reduce 25%, and that has involved some um, turf grass removal and things like that, whereas I think we're finding that if people just irrigate better with what they have or maybe use more drought-tolerant um, plant species and such, that that's also a, a good solution. So I would hope that that's part of the Felicia Marcus's all of the above, um, that we just do a better job of managing and change our behavior a little bit instead of, instead of you know, on the downside, fallowing acres or ripping out our, our landscapes. So, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, what we found is a little bit of behavioral change and, and, um, and maybe the incorporation of some more water-efficient technologies have actually, you know, led to a 30% conservation number. And I can tell you that, you know, we in the governor's uh, administration, I know Governor Brown, are, are doing whatever we can to protect economically productive industries like agriculture. And that's one of the reasons why we have asked people to step up and, and conserve in their own lives so yeah. we can make sure we have funding to, you know, keep the crops growing and keep endangered species alive. Well, thank, thank you, Wade, so much for coming on and for all of your efforts and the governor's efforts. Uh, we're, it's a privilege to have you here today. Hopefully you can come back soon. We're going to wrap up. Um, uh, I would like to encourage everybody, if they want to learn a little bit more about drip irrigation and agriculture, to visit uh, our website, driptips.toro.com. You may see an image on your screen here soon. Uh, we have a wealth of educational material to help uh, the farmers and the, uh, the dealers if it's a design issue, uh, our owner's manual, our design software. Uh, please visit us. Come and see us at the CAIA conference next week, at the CII conference in January, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.